Hi everyone, Anthony Fantano here, internet's busiest music nerd, and you're listening to the latest episode of the Needle Drop Podcast. In this one, we are stacked with reviews. I'm going to be hitting you guys with my thoughts on the new BTS record, latest EP from K-pop sensation BTS. Also going to be getting into some brand new track reviews from the likes of Kevin Abstract, as well as Flying Lotus, new Flying Lotus album on the way. Also, my favorite pop punk album of the year, the new Pup record, Morbid Stuff. Going to hand you a review of that. A YouTuber gone music producer, songwriter, rapper, and singer. Aries has a new EP mini album out, Welcome Home, that I'm enjoying quite a bit. Definitely want to pay attention to this one if you are into sort of this new wave of emo trap. I think he is definitely cutting his way into this genre with some pretty sticky and memorable singles. Also going to lay down some thoughts on the latest LPs from the Chemical Brothers as well as Anderson Pack, and hit you guys with an exclusive segment from our popular Let's Argue series. That's going to be it in this episode, so get ready, strap in, bam! And it is time for a review of the new BTS EP, Map of the Soul, Persona. This is the latest EP from K-pop sensation BTS, which is not only following up their huge breakout record Love Yourself Tear that dropped last year, but also a lengthy repackaged version of this project featuring Love Yourself Tear tracks, Love Yourself Her tracks, as well as mixes. Persona is the first batch of completely fresh material the group has dropped this year, not letting up on their very busy schedule of touring and recording recording and promoting. In terms of the sound of this new EP, the group is still delivering their trademark blend of hip-hop and electro-pop and dance pop and R&B, as well as some pristine ballads. Keep in mind the seamless blend of mainstream sounds is part of what makes BTS and K-pop in general so stand out. And as much as I was looking forward to more music from BTS, given how many tracks off their last record I liked, and I figured more music from them in 2019 was an inevitability, I don't know, I feel like the material they delivered on this project could have been worked over a bit more. In my opinion, this EP is definitely missing something. It doesn't really have the same sort of dramatic punch and soaring, instantly epic, and pain ballads like Fake Love. I remember pretty vividly being captured by the emotion of that song right away, and that just does not happen for me on this EP. I know I shouldn't talk that much about Fake Love in the runtime of this review, but seriously, the, the chorus of that track has seared itself into my brain. Fake love, fake love. The production on that track is so amazingly pristine, even the rap vocals on the cut have an element of theatrics to them that just brings the emotional potency home. I would also say that Persona lacks the rap bangers of her as well. There's not really anything that truly goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with a track as exciting and as pivotal to the BTS discography as Mic Drop. And that's not to say the band should be constantly trying to outdo these tracks. It would be absolutely exciting and refreshing to hear them take a risk, do something different, but that is not the point of Persona. On this project, BTS stands very firmly in their usual wheelhouse of sounds and influences, and in the process of that, they flounder a bit. Even as the group tries to inject some hard-hitting cuts into this thing, like the intro track, Persona. This song features some pretty aggressive rapping all over it from front to back, a riff-heavy beat that fuses rock and rap together, as well as some chipmunk vocal samples singing away in the background, adding a lot of soul and quirk to the song. It's a pretty exciting cut, but I will say generally on this EP, the rapping comes off a bit goofier than I think it has in the past on BTS's previous material, especially as we go deeper into the EP, like with Suga's appearance on the cut Boy With Love featuring Halsey. As soon as he starts rapping on this cut, he sounds like he's doing a, a bad Pitbull impression. I don't know if it's in his flow or the way he's kind of overacting in his verse, but it just really sounds like he's he's doing his, his best attempt at trying to be Mr. Worldwide. I'm just kind of waiting for the moment where he goes, Woo! 
he kind of pulls the same thing on the song Make It Right just a few tracks later. The song Microcosmos brings an interesting change of pace, the reverb heavy drums as well as the guitar licks on this thing read like something out of an old 80s pop song. It's kind of like a knowing nod to Pop's past, much in the same way that Carly Rae Jepsen did on her Emotion album, but with a much less fulfilling tune at the core of it and production that honestly is kind of flat and colorless. Not much of a groove to it overall either. I should also mention on this track that some of the vocal performances do leave something to be desired. Rap Monster's mini-verse right after the chorus on this track is easily one of the clumsiest on the entire album. His lead vocal and the heavily touched up background vocal behind him don't sync up all that well. They, they sync up kind of awkwardly. Not to mention his performance contrasts really weirdly with Suga's right afterwards. I know I'm complaining a lot about Suga as well as Rap Monster on here, essentially the backbone of the group according to a lot of hardcore BTS fans, but I don't mean to center simply on them because my issues with this album don't sit just with them, and their performances across this record are not all that bad, especially on the track Home, which is one of the punchiest and catchiest on the entire record. On the song Rap Monster comes off sounding like a seasoned southern hip-hop veteran, mostly in his very exuberant delivery and flow. I'm not saying that he's like copycatting like a southern accent or anything like that. There's just something about the hip-hop flavors coming off of this sound that has like a distinctly southern vibe to it, and I think they're incorporated pretty tastefully. There's also the matter of J-Hope's rap verse on the track Jamais Vu, which is easily the most gorgeous and stunning and pristine ballad on the entire record. Production on this track is immaculate. But once Hope pops in, his rapping is so overdone and over-delivered. Ugh. His performance doesn't really maintain or value the mellow beauty of the track up until this point. Of course, there's a beat switch there to kind of support what he's doing on the track, but it is such a horrendous switch. It just smacks of every formulaic pop song ever recorded that has a clunky rap verse tacked onto it for a crossover appeal. Which, again, is a shame, because outside of this portion of the song, it's, it's a damn good tune. The closing track, Dionysus, is decent, but I feel like the band already drunk from this well of rap-rock fusion at the kickoff of the album, and they did it better there. The opening track also did not kick off with this awkward, bellowing collection of auto-tune vocals that sound like a beautiful, dark, twisted nightmare. It's almost like with BTS going more aggressive on this track, they totally lost any touch they have with their sense of finesse, which sort of disappointing because that's not really the case with their previous stuff, so I don't exactly know what happened here. The sung vocals, the hooks, the relatively clean production are the best things this EP has going for it, but even those characteristics are not the best they have been in the whole BTS discography. I do appreciate the slight shift in themes on this EP from Love Yourself Tear, which featured a lot of tracks about self-acceptance, to Persona, which features quite a few messages orbiting around self-identity. But still, even with this loose concept or focus, it's really not enough to build this project up to be one of BTS's best. Overall, I have pretty mixed feelings on this EP, though it's far from the worst thing in the world. I'm really at about a strong 5 to a light 6 on it. Hey buddy, did you hear the news? It's track reviews. And it is time for a track review of this brand new Kevin Abstract song, Baby Boy. Now you guys may know Kevin Abstract at this point is a singer, songwriter, producer, key member of the boy band Sensation, known as Brock Hampton, whose new album, I, I don't know when exactly that is, but it certainly seems like Kevin Abstract is putting a lot of effort into promoting his own solo stuff as of late on this very channel. I did a somewhat brief review on a handful of tracks he released as this Arizona baby single. Again, Baby Boy is the name of this new track that he is promoting, that he has put out there. There's a music video attached to it as well. Let's give it a try and see if this is any more worthwhile than the somewhat rough material on that Arizona Baby single that was really kind of wearing its influences on its sleeve. Uh, Ba-bam! <laughs> The saxophone? The saxophone at the end? For real? For real with the saxophone? This is great. This is so good. This is great! 
This is so good! This song is pretty much everything that was so great and so admirable about Kevin Abstract's solo material before Brockhampton blew up, the American Boyfriend stuff. Everything that was great about that material, but improved and with a heap of extra wonderful instrumentation, the wonderful and seamless fusion of pop and R&B and hip-hop and soul, as well as like a bit of a homespun singer-songwriter quality to it too, the acoustic elements of the track, the acoustic balladry of the track. It's such a wonderful crossroads of, of so many things, and none of it feels like uh, any one sound or style or influence is losing out to another thing. It's it's a handful of influences that in a lot of ways are just greater than the sum of their parts. And the structure of the song is wonderful too. I love how Kevin sort of trades off with Ryan Beatty on this track, whose uh, falsetto vocals I think are fantastic on the song. Didn't care that much for the dude's recent solo record that uh, some Brockhampton fans were kind of freaking out about, but I love his input on this track. The pitched vocals that are also woven into this song are pretty tastefully executed too. Not too cartoony, not too gimmicky as they may have been on some previous Brockhampton tracks that might have rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. And the tune at the core of the song, we may have heard some tunes in the past that are a little similar to this. These are some kind of tried and true chord progressions and the uh, uh, the swell of the song on the chorus too is uh, pretty familiar too as far as like that that chord change and everything. But still, it's it's a very solid ballad and some of the string sections worked into this track just create this wonderfully overwhelming feeling. It's uh, no surprise to find out that Jack Antonoff of, uh, of what, Bleacher's fame uh, had a hand in the production on this one, as, as well as Ramil, but, uh, but still. It's amazing this track has a very nice professional sheen on it, but I feel like these uh, DIY and homespun qualities that made American Boyfriend so interesting uh, have been very successfully maintained. So even as Kevin's music sounds way more arranged than it's been in the past on this one, I feel like we haven't lost the original soul of his sound as a solo artist, and I, I love that. So overall with this track, I mean, I don't really have any heavy criticisms of it. I think it's a really great song. I love the production. I think the tune is great. I think the vocal performances are great. The mix of influences is wonderful and exhilarating. I just kind of love, again, the crossroads of sounds that this song is sitting in between. And uh, yeah, just, I'm really excited to you know hear what Kevin has coming around the corner uh, with these new projects, if the rest of this stuff is going to be uh, this good. So uh, Kevin Abstract, Baby Boy, loved it. Let me know down in the comments what you guys thought of this song. Did you love it as well? Did you hate it? Why? Over here next to my head is another video that you can check out. Hit that up or the link to subscribe to the channel. Anthony Fantano, Baby Boy, uh, forever. A brand new song from producer extraordinaire, pioneering, game-changing producer, Mr. Flying Lotus. He is back. New album on the way. It's been five years, five years since the release of his last album, You're Dead, and it feels like it. It feels like it's been an era. It feels like it's been an eon. It feels like it's been a millennium. It feels like it's been such a long time since we've heard a new album from Flying Lotus. And May 24th is the release date for his new record coming out via Warp Records. Of course, he is sticking with his longtime label. And he is not disappointing with the size of this new full-length album. It seems that uh, Flylo has been kind of gathering together tracks for this project for quite a while now. Here we have the track list. It's pretty long and features the likes of Tierra Wack, Denzel Curry, Shabazz Palaces, Thundercat, Toro Imwa, Solange, George Clinton is on here, Little Dragon is on here, Anderson Pack, David Lynch is in the mix as well, and that's just the feature list. You know, given that it's Flying Lotus, there's probably an amazing wealth of musicians behind the scenes working on this record as well. So, along with the announcement of this new album, which I, I will say came within 24 hours of me releasing a tweet <laughs> questioning whether or not Flying Lotus was working on the album. Ask and you shall receive. Along with the announcement of this record, Flying Lotus has dropped a new song and music video as well titled Fire is Coming. It is actually the track featuring 
David Lynch off of this record. It is a tight three minutes and 28 seconds. I'm going to give it a try, give it a shot. We will see what is up with the song. And uh, yeah, ba-bam, ba-bam, ba-bam. Let's go. (laughs) Okay. Wow. Um... How do I even make heads or tails of that? I mean, it's blatantly a spoken word piece. It's blatantly a spoken word piece with David Lynch really kind of like taking the helm on the track. And uh, very obviously, Flying Lotus is still in kind of directorial and in filmmaker mode. And the aesthetic of this video over here also has the fingerprints of, uh, of David Firth all over it as well, who Flying Lotus has been sort of collaborating with on visuals for a little while now. I mean, it's twisted. It's unsettling. It's strange. It leads me to believe that this album could potentially be conceptual or maybe even narrative-based in a way, or they just wanted to drop a track that felt almost like um, almost like an extended teaser to the entire album, because in a way, while we can see over here that this is pretty much, yeah, the actual track, it's 316, Fire's Coming, David Lynch... Uh, obviously there was a little bit of track time added to the music video over here to kind of set the tone of the song with some visuals of all these kids dressed in fursuits, screaming and playing and going crazy. There were some elements of it that reminded me of the very creepy and theatrical and narrative-based spoken word pieces that have made it into a number of Tom Waits albums over the years. Uh, I guess I could kind of draw a comparison there. Outside of that, I'm not sure what I can really draw from this because again, musically, there wasn't a a whole lot going on outside of just some very strange, eerie instrumental embellishments happening in the background behind David Lynch's vocals, uh, which were kind of twisted and manipulated and the intensity of that increase as we got closer to the end of the track and the way that... uh, Uh, the instrumental, and suddenly this beat was kind of building up at the very end of the song, it would kind of lead me to guess that uh, maybe this track is going to segue really smoothly into the next song on here, maybe a larger musical passage or something like that. But that's really all I could say. It just feels like an extended interlude type moment that I think could serve as a really great spot on the album. But without the visuals here attached to this track in the music video, to me, this song doesn't really have a a whole lot of replay power, you know, unless you're uh, sort of listening to it within the context of the album itself, which undoubtedly is going to be a very holistic, maybe seamless and even cinematic kind of experience. So while I wasn't exactly blown away by this track compositionally or anything like that, again, was left unsettled, kind of disturbed, ears wanting more, mouth watering, wondering where we are going next with this. And finally, I'm I'm left with a lot more questions than I had when I I started before I played this video and this song. And it's time for a review of the new pup record, Morbid Stuff. Toronto band Pup is back with a new album of new material right here. It is their third since exploding onto the scene back in 2013, when they were delivering a pretty meat and potatoes blend of pop punk and post-hardcore. And while I wasn't exactly nutso for the group's follow-up album, The Dream Is Over, in comparison with the debut, Pup's sophomore album did feature better songwriting, a more explosive sound overall, a greater appreciation for hooks, especially on what was their best single at the time, DVP. However, in my opinion, the teaser tracks to this newest record from Pup have been even better. Kids and Sibling Rivalry, as well as Free at Last, whose panicky lead vocals sound like something off of an AJJ, formerly Andrew Jackson Jihad album. All these cuts come packed with righteous riffs and anthemic guitars and snotty singing, melodic lead vocals and sharp hooks. It is very clear that Pup has a great appreciation for the pop punk of the 90s and the 2000s. 
Mountains, and they sort of add in a splash of emo on these tracks too. It's like listening to a 10-car pileup of Weezer and the Dickies and the Ergs and Jeff Rosenstock, as well as the Menzingers. Even some of the guitar playing on Sibling Rivalry sounds lifted out of a Sum 41 song, but with some added grit and edge. This record easily delivers Pup's best blend of influences and sounds yet. I would still argue in the grander scheme of rock and pop punk, it's not exactly the most original sound in the world, but I think the snappy songwriting on this record does a lot to make up for that. There's not really a snoozer in the whole track list on this thing, nor a song where it felt like the band wasn't writing up to their full potential. There are also a few genre twists and turns in the track list on this record that I think were very necessary given just how one-dimensional Pup's last album read to me. There's the track Full Blown Meltdown, whose riffs and guitar tones are very, very sludgy, bordering on just straight metal music. Truly the heaviest cut the band has ever ever put out. And the band puts every ounce of ferocity that they have into the performance of this one track between Stefan's just throat shredding screams and, and Zach's very muscular drumming. This track is absolutely hard-hitting and badass. It's like listening to High on Fire meets pop punk. The song Kids isn't a total departure from Pup's usual sound, but the very wordy and shouted diatribes and the verses on this track are enough to uh, give the band a bit more of a, a new flavor, a new direction. Almost feels like something out of the Dead Milkmen playbook, but updated tastefully for a modern pop-punk audience. The song City isn't a favorite of mine on the album here, but the band still effectively pulls off a very low-key and sad closer to end the album off. And Scorpion Hill sees Pup kicking things off with a kind of a backwater country ballad that suddenly throttles into a very aggressive high-octane piece of pop punk. During the more country passage of this track, the band kind of sounds like the Black Lips, but without as much of a, I don't know, weirdo appeal. Like the Black Lips if they were taking a lot less LSD. There's also an irresistibly catchy and lovably morbid chorus on this thing that I, I like quite a bit. And needless to say, the lyrics across this entire record most definitely help this album live up to its title of morbid stuff. This album may in fact be at its darkest on the track See You At Your Funeral, which is maybe the, the pettiest pop punk song ever recorded, with lyrics like, I hope somehow I never see you again, and if I do it's at your funeral, or better yet, I hope the world explodes, I hope that we all die, we can watch all the highlights in hell, I hope they're televised. The song Sibling Rivalry is very similar in spirit in that it also focuses on someone that uh, the protagonist is, is very fed up with. And we get even more dark intentions on this record with the song Bloody Mary, Kate, and Ashley, which has one of the best hooks on the entire record. It's soaring, it's harmonious, it's exuberant, all these huge, layered, shouted group vocals, it is just incredible pop punk. But the verses on this thing sound more like a goth rock band's wet dream. The highlights continue onto the track Closure, which features even more great songwriting and a kind of mellow, twinkly, emo breakdown in the second half that's very reminiscent of American football. The track also comes with one of the grandest finishes on the entire record, too. Overall, I think this is a pretty great and solid rock album. Again, maybe not one of the most cutting-edge or inventive in this particular style or genre. Occasionally, I find the recording to be a little dry and a little plain, even though it does a great job of translating the band's very electrifying performances. But even after considering those shortcomings and that there are maybe a few tracks on the track list here that are just okay, this is still Pup's best album to date, and maybe one of the better pop-punk albums of the decade, too. I would also argue that with the release of this album, Pup has solidified themselves as one of the better and most consistent pop-punk bands of this decade, too, as there are only maybe a few groups out there who I can think have been as consistent and as creative as Pup over the years. The Wonder Years, The Story So Far, Joyce Manor, Jeff Rosenstock is probably my favorite, but Pup does come in at a very solid second. So all things considered, Morbid Stuff is a very great and enjoyable album, and I am feeling a strong 7 to a light 8 on this thing. Transition into the next review. And it is time for a review of the new Aries record, Welcome Home. This is a brand new collection of tracks from singer, songwriter, producer, and YouTube content creator, 
Aries. You may not be aware of this guy if you're not deep into the YouTube music sphere, but this dude hosts a pretty popular series where he recreates a lot of very popular hip-hop beats from scratch within a certain span of time. He obviously makes his own music on the side as well, though it's something that's never really stopped me in my tracks up until this point. However, I did get some suggestions to listen to his new album over here. I was kind of curious, given that I've enjoyed his content in the past, so gave it a shot, and surprisingly, it's it's pretty good. Going into this, I didn't really know what to expect other than I thought it was most likely going to be hip-hop influenced given what of Aries stuff I've heard in the past. We have nine tracks and 25 minutes of runtime on this project, and it delivers a pretty sweet and clean blend of moody modern trap, some emo, a little bit of pop, and some singer-songwriter music. Either inadvertently or totally on purpose, Aries has miraculously crafted a pretty decent contribution to the current wave of emo trap and emo rap music. I think he does a great job of bringing these two genres and worlds together without necessarily boiling his combination down to the most basic and derivative and gimmicky elements of each. And it's kind of funny, given this style, this sound has been rising to a simmer for a little while now, and then all of a sudden this dude comes out of left field on YouTube, and whoa, he's actually crafting some pretty compelling and substantive and introspective songs set to trap beats, as well as pianos, guitars, and synths. Aries' vocal delivery is also pretty melancholic and smooth. I think on this project, Aries does a pretty decent job of sidestepping the track list bloat and the depression glorification, as well as the unnecessary edginess that I think has plagued this style up until this point. And it feels weird saying this, but I can't help but comment that some of the best tracks on this thing feel like what Russ's music would sound like if it wasn't so, no, bye-bye, I'm not listening to this, bye-bye. When listening to this, I'm also reminded of artists like Post Malone, because I see his work in a similar light, in that Post is very much a singer-songwriter at heart who is using these modern trends in hip-hop and pop music at large to just kind of get his songwriting across. Aries is very much in the same boat, as there are plenty of tracks on this thing that you could easily transcribe over to an acoustic context or performance. The vibe of this project overall is pretty easygoing and chill, even if it is a bit dreary. However, this does not stop the hooks and the vocal lines on this thing from popping. There are a lot of lyrics on this project about missing people, love on the rocks, texting, blacking out, drinking or taking pills to kind of take your woes or your emotional pain away. In the grander scheme of hip-hop and emo trap right now, nothing altogether new. It's a little tortured, kind of melodramatic, and occasionally gets overly sentimental. Lyrically, a little corny at points, though I will say the somber tone of the record and the very slick presentation of the instrumentation does take the edge off of that quite a bit. I would actually argue the appeal of this record is so immediate and so sweet to the ear that the darkness of the lyrics may not be apparent right away. Some of the quick, snappy, and sad highlights for me on this project are cuts like Sayonara, with its twangy and twinkly guitars right at the start of the track, which sound like they are lifted right out of an emo song. Eventually, the track transitions into some cute little dusty lead melodies and a steady trap beat. And Aries produced a really hypnotic beat on this one. It's amazing how mesmerizing it is, especially when the flow on his hook pops in. Not enough, pull it up, move it to the side. Run her up, bug around, never let me by. The song Deity also stood out to me, but where's this track coming from? Where is this song coming from? The way Aries sings on the hook of this track, it sounds like something out of a very radio-friendly alternative metal song from like 15 years ago. The prominent acoustic guitar on this track also leads me to believe that this is kind of like a key influence here. The verses on this track also seem like something Weekend fans would really, really love, with an extra heaping helping of angst thrown in for good measure. I can't exactly look at some of this stuff, the lyrics, I mean, and, um relate. Some of it really doesn't resonate with me as I've never really been or wanted to be a moody poet 
Lothario gossiper. But I will say between the production and his vocal delivery, Ares is certainly very good at making this world his music exists within seem like his own personal hell. It's certainly to the point where the track Amy's Grave, which is a very despondent track on this album, features these lines of, take me away, take me away, why should I care what happens to me? I don't know, even though these phrases may not seem all that profound poetically, Ares gives them, I, I think, a certain amount of poetic weight in just how serious these proclamations feel. It's at this point where I think the quality of the project begins to trail off a little bit though. The song Pony I found to be kind of lackluster in comparison with how accessible and uh, instantly catchy many of the other tracks in the track list are. On top of that, I thought the vocals were a bit more washed out than they were on every other cut here. Carousel and Santa Monica aesthetically and instrumentally are also decent moments here, but the songs at this point on the record are either feeling so breezy or um, almost like Aries is kind of painting himself into a corner. His flows, his topical focus, the melodies that he tends to favor, there's not a whole lot of variety or contrast. Again, maybe that's because this is such a short and kind of an inaugural project for him. He's very clearly still developing his sound, whatever that is going to be. Even within this pretty short runtime, though, the well does begin to run dry, as it just begins to feel like I'm listening to very similar lyrical and melodic and rhythmic ideas just sort of worked at different angles. The closing track on here though, even though I'm not crazy about it, I do admire it for getting kind of ambitious and trying to end this project off on a high note. The glistening pianos at the start of the track along with the vocals almost feel like something out of a Coldplay song. Eventually the track reaches a very powerful and almost cinematic vocal climax, but almost immediately after that, the track kind of fizzles out and just disappears. In a way, it feels like it was in a rush to be over, even though it's the longest song on the entire record. Overall, Welcome Home, I think, is a pretty sweet project and a record that I think should be acknowledged as a, a decent contribution, again, to this current wave of emo trap and singer-songwriter-based hip-hop music. But going forward, I would love to hear Aries mix it up a little bit. In the production, I would love to hear more texture, more teeth more adventure. The vocals occasionally are a bit too one-dimensional and underwhelming, like on the opening cut here. Uh, when Aries does hit a vocal high and he reaches into his upper register or gives a very passionate or compelling performance, it's great. It's just not the case, though, for every track here. And as far as the songwriting goes, while I do love the catchier and the more to-the-point songs on this record, if you're ever going to build a larger, more ambitious project out, you're going to need more dimensions, more phases. Welcome Home is a pretty likable project and something I think is going to have me kind of keeping my ears on Aries for a little bit just to see where he moves next. Even if, again, it's not blowing me away from front to back, there are some amazing songs in the track list here. I'm feeling a decent two strong six on this thing. Transition into the next review. And it's time for a review of the new Chemical Brothers album, No Geography. This is the ninth full-length album from the legendary electronic music duo, The Chemical Brothers, who were responsible for creating some of the most memorable, essential, and groundbreaking electronic music and big beat of the 90s. The Chemical Brothers back catalog has become pretty classic at this point. Exit Planet Dust, Surrender, Dig Your Own Hole. But like many artists who became wildly popular in the 90s, The Chemical Brothers had sort of struggled to stay cutting edge and relevant in the 2000s. You can't say they weren't trying, though, like on their record We Are The Night, which featured some pretty trippy productions, some nocturnal vibes, some very weird vocal performances and clips. It's not like during this era the Chemical Brothers weren't experimenting, but quite a few tracks that landed on albums that came out during this era didn't exactly bang and soar like the duo's most classic material. Even though the Chemical Brothers discography got kind of tumultuous in the 2000s, I do think the duo's more recent material has marked a bit of a return to basics. Sure, it doesn't sound exactly like the old days, but the duo's last full-length LP, Born in the Echoes, did feature some pretty great vocalists and the kind of gargantuan beats and hooks that put the duo on the map in the first place. And I think the Chemical Brothers continue on that road with this new LP over here, No Geography. It feels like with the duo's back catalog reaching classic status, there is more of a demand for them to just do what they do best. I was kind of concerned going into this LP, though, because a few of the teaser tracks and singles I thought were some of the worst that the Chemical Brothers have put out in a while. Free Yourself, as well as I'm mad as hell. As long as I brought these tracks up, I might as well mention all of the low points on the album 
album, in my opinion. So again, the song Mad As Hell, it does feature some great groove switches, some heavy, punchy production, some thumping kicks, and the track builds up some great tension like a classic piece of Acid House. But the full potential of this track, I think, is marred in some very basic and plain and formulaic progressions. Also, a very gimmicky vocal sample from the L song I'm Mad As Hell, which seems pretty quirky and strange within the original disco and funk context of the song, but on this banging electronic beat, it just mostly sounds annoying. I think it also contributes to the song feeling kind of one-dimensional because this vocal snippet is not really enough to carry through the entire track and keep it entertaining. The vocals are also less than desirable on the track Free Yourself. The numerous deadpan refrains all over the song of Free Yourself, Free Me, Dance. What they contribute to the track, I'm not entirely sure. They go pretty stale pretty fast. But in my opinion, the track doesn't truly kneecap itself until the Chemical Brothers toss in these horrid layers of whooping synth-leads. They're all cascading over each other. It sounds like I'm standing in the middle of like a murder of crows, like five dozen crows, and they're all cawing at once. The synths are just as perplexing on the track The Universe Sent Me, where the duo throws in once again these synth layers that are kind of fluttering, thrown on top of each other to the point where they just make a, a cacophony, a total mess. You can't really make heads or tails of it. It's kind of fluttery, a little disorienting, and not really in an exciting or a visceral way. It just really comes off like an unfulfilling jumble of sound. Meanwhile, the faint and lifeless lead vocals that play throughout the track don't really do the song much justice either. It just kind of, I don't know, feels like a fusion of art pop, electro psych, and bad trip hop. The song Gravity Drop overall is is fine. It's one of the more tolerable tracks in the track list here, but uh, given its lack of progression and overall excitement, it just kind of comes off like an overextended interlude. The track Catch Me I'm Falling is a glossy and kind of epic finisher on here. Very futuristic in tone, loaded with reverb, loaded with atmosphere, or rather it's very atmospheric. The tune and the production on this one reads like a cross between a Bjork tune and a Gorillaz tune. I think this song would be a bit more fulfilling as a sobering tie-up if the lead-up to this point had been maybe just a bit less rocky. Thankfully, the start of this record is relatively strong, I guess. Multiple epic bangers on this leg of the album link into each other, carrying the momentum of the entire album and tracklist really well. I would even argue that these links and this momentum carry through songs that I don't even really enjoy that much on the record, but I still do appreciate the duo took this approach where they made the album experience a bit more holistic. Still, to mention some of the highlights on this thing, you have the killer Eve of Destruction kicking the entire album off. Amazing plucky bass line on this thing, fantastic revving noises building up to some great changes on this track, a hustling disco beat, a very shouty female lead vocal a la an old school punk tune, a robot vocal a la Daft Punk, a singer and a vocal line on the pre-chorus that sounds like something out of an old soul song that's incorporated in a way that is very similar to that of a classic Chicago house track. So on this track in particular, I am loving the wide array of influences and how successfully the Chemical Brothers are essentially fusing them all together so they complement one another. You have the song Bango, which is even groovier with its panoramic percussion and kind of odd deadpan vocal leads delivered by Norwegian singer Aurora. The title track on this thing is also a highlight for me. It's got a pretty large and cinematic sound to it with these punchy beats and utopian synthesizers, vocal clips that inspire feelings of togetherness and unity across all mankind, and in a lot of ways I see it as a logical conclusion to a lot of the most classic stuff Kraftwerk dropped back in the day. There's also the track We've Got to Try, which is a very heavy and hard-hitting fusion of disco and soul and acid house. I love the vintage vocal breaks the duo are able to kind of weave into the beats on this one. Love the sharp, textured, squelchy synth leads that are very prominent throughout this cut too. So yeah, there are some very strong highlights on this record. Some great tracks that really call back to the best years of the Chemical Brothers career. Uh, however, there are a good deal of songs on this thing as well that 
I just see as merely being tolerable, not really all that standout. And there are a few duds in the track list too. I appreciate that the duo didn't overextend themselves on this one or anything. Really my greatest issue with this LP is that there are a lot of very odd decisions that are really ruining tracks that should have been as solid as the first leg of the record. With synth lines and synth passages that are literally so horrendous they pretty much ruin the song, to vocal clips and appearances that just don't really inspire much of anything. I would argue that they take away much more from the song than they actually add. So as much as I would like to be completely hype for the Chemical Brothers at this point in their career, uh, I do kind of feel like this is yet another instance of an album past that classic era of the duo's career that is just a mixed bag. I am feeling a light to decent six on this thing. Transition into the next review. And it's time for a review of the new Anderson Pack record, Ventura. This is the latest full-length album from singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, producer from Anderson, don't forget the dot pack. We just heard from this man toward the end of 2018 with his last full-length album, Oxnard, a Dr. Dre-backed project that was one of my favorites of that year. I loved the vintage and cinematic and colorful production on this thing, the super catchy songwriting, the fantastic feature list, which led to some incredible performances from Kendrick Lamar, as well as Pusha T. There were also some very weird and entertaining detours in the track list on this thing, like Who Are You, as well as uh, Six Summers. And given that Anderson Pack musically is a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, this thing featured a pretty wide array of influences from funk and soul to contemporary hip-hop and R&B. Now, I get that there is a contingent of Anderson Pack fans who prefer his 2016 album Malibu to Oxnard. I get it, but in my opinion, Oxnard is just so great and to the point. Pound for pound, I view it as the more focused and ambitious album. And Anderson seems to be striking while the iron is hot with a new, full record of music. Less than a year later, and he's teased to the release of this album by saying it's it's more of a soul-centric project. Now, given that it's Anderson Pack and soul music has pretty much inspired everything he's done up until this point, how much of a sea change is that really going to be? I mean, not only does the material on this record also have Dr. Dre's fingerprints on it, but it sounds like it was recorded and conceptualized and written in the same headspace that all of Oxnard's material was too. But the difference being that many tracks on this record do actually slide further to the soul side of the Anderson Pack music spectrum and have a mellower presentation as well. So if you were being a totally uncharitable jerk, you could look at this record and say, isn't this just leftovers? Isn't this just Oxnard leftovers? But we're not gonna do that because there's no real reason to complain about another consistent, entertaining Anderson Pack album. There's not. Now look, I'm not trying to say this is a perfect record or anything like that. There are a handful of moments that really do underwhelm and disappoint, like the musical bridge to nowhere that Good Heels is, or the incredibly awkward instrumental transition after an amazing first leg on the track Reaching Too Much. The soft, faint, and smooth soul passage this track eventually shifts into is kind of awkward at points. A lot of Anderson Pack's vocal embellishments on this track come off a bit weird, not to mention there are a few head-scratching lyrics. I see you too much, baby. I need to take some space. You kiss me too much, baby. Forgot to wipe my face. Uh. Ew, that's gross. What, are you getting spit all over your face? What? Maybe some lipstick, though that doesn't really seem to be successfully conveyed here. I mean, the track starts great, but it misses the landing, and the song Chosen One I see almost as like a flip of that. With the constant beat embellishments in the first leg of this track, the random rushes of synthetic tones, as well as Sonia Elise's very strong vocal lines, this song is like a confusing 10-car pileup of sound. It's got a lot of noise, but it's not composed all that cleanly. Thankfully, the track does eventually clear up into some irresistibly cute piano chords, some funky grooves and beats, some really sick bars and rap flows from Anderson Pack, some hilarious lyrical nods to MF Doom as well as Sailor Moon. But I think my least favorite track on this entire album most definitely comes down to Twilight. Mostly because the instrumental on this cut is absolutely awful. With this soul-sucking kick and snare pattern, it just simply goes bah, 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 
sure, there are some twittering percussive embellishments throughout that beat, but it is very grooveless and stiff. Also, the fake horn line on this cut gets really corny too. Also, the bow, 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 rubbery bass line. It sounds like a horrible Pharrell ripoff. And then, of course, I went into the production credits of this album and saw Pharrell actually made it. Look, Pharrell is a great guy, fantastic artist, and I know every beat he makes is not going to be the best beat in the world, but uh, he could have easily given this instrumental to Justin Timberlake for it to be completely forgotten for uh, the rest of eternity on his last record. He could have at least done that. Anderson Pack did not deserve this beat. He should have gotten a way better beat because it's so freaking tedious. And I feel like Anderson Pack, vocally, he does his best on top of the track. He does what he can do on top of it. But the song itself he's singing comes off super tedious because I, I think he's working within the confines of this very repetitive instrumental, unfortunately. Thankfully, the highlights on this record outshine for the most part the moments here. There's the silky and gorgeous kickoff to the entire album featuring Andre 3000, Come Home. Great start to this thing. Also evokes the same classic vintage era of, of soul and, and soundtrack music uh, that Ox Snard was pulling from. I love the airy background vocals on this thing, uh, the light touches of guitar and percussion. I also love the strings on this cut, the glamorous pianos, the nimble bass line. The sense of longing that Anderson Pack delivers on the hook of this track is deep. It is thick. I also love the meta commentary that he works into the hook of a, nobody even begs anymore. And as if the track wasn't already good enough on its own, and it is. I mean, it could have easily slipped into the track list on Oxnard and been great. But on top of that, again, you get this Andre 3000 performance, which is killer. The way he switches his flow up on the song is amazing. His delivery is incredible. And the wet twat. Harriet Tubman line in his verse proves him to be, still to this day, one of the most eccentric rappers and writers out there. The song Make It Better featuring Smokey Robinson. Sure, the instrumental here is a bit basic, especially from uh, uh, the standpoint of the drums, but Anderson Pack's kind of raspy and expressive and golden voice delivers a wonderful classic soul tune on this one. I love the sentiment of this track of kind of going through a tumultuous time in a relationship and then wanting to get back to a good time, a good place, wanting to make more memories. It's absolutely feel good and blissful and lovely and romantic. We get even more romance on the track Winner's Circle, which features some gorgeous jazzy chord changes, some breaks on the track that feature vocal scatting, which you don't hear a whole lot of these days, but comes off really well on this record. On the song King James, you see a very sharp blend of synth funk and hip hop. Nothing all too new for Anderson, but I do love the socially aware and politically charged lyrics on this track. The nods and the lyrics to gentrification, as well as black culture, Colin Kaepernick, and painting LeBron James as a leader and important social figure who has used his success in the NBA to help others in his community and become this symbol for change. Given the beat on this thing, the tone of the lyrics, Anderson Pack's very charismatic vocal delivery, this song has more sting than any other in the track listing. The song Jet Black is yet another quality soul tune on here with a quality hook, bit of R&B blended into the mix, and Anderson does have some good vocal chemistry with none other than Brandy, of all people who appears on this song. I have not heard her on a track in a long time. But who I haven't heard from in an even longer time is actually Nate Dog, for obvious reasons, rest in peace, who appears on the last track on this record via some unreleased vocals. Undoubtedly, Dr. Dre may have been kind of the plug on that. And for Anderson on this track, there was actually a lot of material to work with in terms of these Nate Dog vocals. There is a full chorus here, there's a full verse here, there's actually even some uh, studio banter that he works in afterwards to make it seem as if they're kind of naturally and casually interacting after the song a la Kendrick Lamar, Tupac onto Pimple Butterfly. And the tune on this track is so incredible and so solid. What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? Such a lovely and feel-good send-off to the entire album. It brings this 
album to a wonderful moment of finality, not only because it's it's just such a solid and beautiful song, but also you know that given Nate Dogg was one of the most essential voices of the 90s, and just Anderson Pack's overall style and delivery, Nate has undoubtedly been a huge, huge, huge influence on this man's sound, on this man's music. And the way that he so wonderfully interacts with these vocals and, and takes so much care in the performance and the craft of this song, I'm getting a little uh, teary-eyed thinking of it. You know, you could really tell that Anderson Pack just so did not want to mess this up, wanted it to be great, wanted it to not only just function as a great song on its own, but also just be a great tribute to Nate Dogg as a singer and as a performer. I could really feel sort of like the love that he has for him as an artist as he was kind of like, you know, performing along with these vocals and, and just kind of doing what he was doing on this track. It was actually like really great and really moving and it's, uh, you know, it says a lot. It's like it says a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was a really, it's a really great ending to the album. Really great ending to the album. So, uh, overall, it is a very solid record. I will say once more, I do prefer Oxnard, mostly because there are like a handful of somewhat malformed moments on this record. But the highlights that are on here, they are very, very, very high. And I also think it speaks very much to Anderson Pack's abilities as an artist that he can come together with a record of, of songs that are essentially left over from his last big studio session for his last big record, and you could pull all these tracks together and make another very good album. I am feeling a decent seven on this one. Juice World is just a more corporate-friendly XXX. Here's the thing. Um, succeeding in the music industry to do so in the long run, you do have to be corporate friendly to a degree. Juice World is not going to get into the same legal troubles that other voices in the emo rap world have been in. Juice World is not nearly as dark or nearly as edgy as some of these artists out here are, frankly. And sure, while that darkness and that edginess does contribute to their appeal, it also, in a lot of cases, ends up being the downfall of these artists too. As sometimes they end up really truly being about that depression, that addiction, that violence that they're singing or rapping about. Honestly, as exciting and as thrilling as those things might seem to be on the surface, they are absolutely career killers. And we don't even need to use this current generation of rappers appealing to very young audiences as an example of this. How many musicians and stars over the course of, of rock's history over the decades have been completely crushed under the weight of addiction and legal battles as well as death. So yeah, you know, I, I agree with what you're trying to get at here in terms of, uh, Juice World is just like really clean and really corporate and really safe, but honestly, like that's gonna contribute to the dude's longevity. As much as being dangerous and being an outlaw might seem like a sellable characteristic when it comes to marketing music and marketing artists in the mainstream, consistently over the years, artists who inhabit that lane usually go down in flames and it's not a pretty sight. So let me say this, take care of yourselves, people in the music industry. I hope everybody makes it out alive. You don't need to put your life in your hands or put your life at risk to make good art, to make good music. You can lead a happy and a long lasting life by playing it a bit safer and just being a bit more sensible. And that is it for this episode of the Needle Drop Podcast, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. I want to give a shout out to Jonah for assembling this episode as well as he does every episode. Hit me up on social media as well, twitter.com slash the needle drop, the needle drop over on YouTube, also Fantano on YouTube, a Fantano on Instagram, and use the needledrop.com for all of your needle drop content needs. Don't miss a single thing we put out as we post it over there as well. Also make sure whatever platform you're on right now listening to this podcast, you are rating commenting, subscribing, helping us spread the, the word of the podcast. And we will catch you guys in the next one. Again, thank you very much for listening. And Anthony Fantano, forever. forever, forever, forever.